morning we're going to look at God's Word, though. Turn in your Bibles, if you will, to Acts chapter 4. We're looking at verses 1 through 22. Give you a little refresher from last week. We saw Peter and John go to the temple for prayer time, wound up healing a lame man who'd been lame from birth, lame all of his life. And they healed him, and they preached. And then Peter preached as to how this happened, gave a stirring sermon about how Jesus Christ, whom they had crucified, whom that crowd had been involved in the crucifixion, crucified, had, God had raised him. And because of that power, Peter was able to testify to them that the Messiah had come and that the covenants had been fulfilled and that the new covenant was in place between us and God through Jesus Christ. Well, all good things sometimes have to come to an end and sometimes they come to a very disappointing end. And that's what chapter 4 is about, the first part of it, verses 1 through 22. So let me read this passage and then we'll begin to delve into it. So while they, Peter and John, were speaking to the people, the priests, the captain of the temple police, and the Sadducees confronted them because they were annoyed that they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. So they seized them and took them into custody until the next day since it was already evening. But many of those who heard the message believed. And the number of the men came to about 5,000. The next day, their rulers, elders, and scribes assembled in Jerusalem with Annas, the high priest, Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and all the members of the high priestly family. After they had Peter and John stand before them, they began to question them. By what power or in what name have you done this? Then Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit and said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today about a good deed done to a disabled man, by what means he was healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified and whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing here before you healthy, this Jesus is the stone rejected by you builders, which has become the cornerstone. There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to people by which we must be saved. When they observed the boldness of Peter and John and realized that they were uneducated and untrained men, they were amazed and recognized that they had been with Jesus. And since they saw the man who had been healed standing with them, they had nothing to say in opposition. After they ordered them to leave the Sanhedrin, they, re, they conferred among themselves, saying, What should we do with these men? For an obvious sign has been done through them, clear to everyone living in Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But so that this does not spread any further among the people, let's threaten them against speaking to anyone in this name again. So they called for them and ordered them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God for us to listen to you rather than, God, than to God, you decide. For we are unable to stop speaking 
about what we have seen and heard. After threatening them further, they released them. They found no way to punish them because the people were all giving glory to God over what had been done. For this sign of healing had been performed on a man over 40 years old. I love that story. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for giving us a glimpse at how powerful you are in us by your spirit. And may we as believers in Christ remember we have that power. And and may it motivate us to be absolutely 100% unashamed of your son. Unashamed to mention his name. Unashamed to tell people about it. We ask for that now, Father. Show us how we can carry on like Peter and John did here. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So just a little background culturally. Rome allowed the Jews to kind of control the temple and to control the, um, control the, the, the movements about in the temple. Matter of fact, they allowed the Jews to control free speech, if you will. Because the Romans knew that if someone started ranting and raving about something, people would join them. And so they're coming in now to kind of put a squish on uh, the people. They showed up, but Peter and John used this opportunity. They turned this persecution into a forum for speaking relentlessly about Jesus Christ. And it calls us to do the same. Our Savior calls us to be unstoppable when we testify about Jesus, to to share the glorious news of God's salvation in Jesus. So how can we be unstoppable? How can we be unstoppable with our testimony of the good news of Jesus Christ? Well, we see in this passage two attitudes that Peter and John carried with themselves. Two attitudes of being unashamed. First of all, be ready for opposition. Be ready for opposition. Verses 1 through 12. Let me read that again because I want you to see what Peter and John do. They're they're ready. They didn't have to think about it. They were ready. While they were speaking to the people, the priests, the captain of the temple police and the Sadducees confronted them because they were annoyed that they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. So they seized them and they took them into custody until the next day. Since it was already evening... But many of those who heard the message believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. The next day, their rulers, elders, scribes, assembled in Jerusalem with Annas the high priest, Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and all the members of the high priest's family. After they had Peter and John stand before them, they began to question them, by what power or in what name have you done this? Then Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit, and he said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, if we are examining today, being examined today about a good deed done to a disabled man, by what means he was healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified and whom God raised from the dead, by him, this man is standing here before you healthy. This Jesus is the stone rejected by you builders, which has become the cornerstone. There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to people by which we must be saved. Be ready for opposition. So while Peter and John are engaging the people in the crowd, these temple leaders, basically they ambush them. 
That word confront that we see in this particular translation, it, in the Greek it really means to ambush almost, to like suddenly come upon. So the temple police captain, the commander of the temple police, he was second only to the high priest. He was the guy that was going to keep order in the temple courts and throughout the whole area around the temple. He was a, a man with a lot of power. And they come upon Peter and John, and as Luke narrates it, it was over the fact that they were teaching about the resurrection. Now, that's, that's, there's some cultural issues there. There's two specific ones. First of all, the Sadducees, they don't believe in the resurrection. We found that out in Mark when we were, we were reading and going through Mark. The Sadducees don't believe in a resurrection at all. Matter of fact, they only, they only take God's word as the first five books of the Old Testament, Genesis through Deuteronomy. But see, they're sad, you see, because they don't believe in a resurrection. They're sad because they don't believe that, that there is a resurrection at the end. That's one of the cultural things. And then the Sadducees are the ones who were in control, who sent Jesus to Pilate to be crucified. So now Peter and John are talking about this Jesus that they had crucified had risen from the dead. So they don't believe in a resurrection, but they surely don't believe that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. Although, you notice in here, they never refute that. They never really confront Peter and John about that. Because they don't have a body. They never found Jesus' body. So they, they can't refute it. They have no way to refute it. So that's two of the kind of cultural things there with the Sadducees that makes it so difficult for this whole situation. But they were annoyed. They were provoked because they were teaching about the resurrection. So they arrested them and they put them in jail. And it says here they put them in jail overnight because it was too late in the evening to start a trial. I wish they'd have given Jesus the same courtesy instead of trying him in the middle of the night. But, oh, they may have learned a lesson, you know, to try Jesus in the daytime. I mean, try these guys in the daytime like they should have done Jesus. But, you know, I, I believe, honestly, Peter and John would have come back the next day. They said, hey, why don't y'all come see us tomorrow and we'll talk about this whole healing thing. I'm, I'm, I know Peter and John would have gone back because they were ready. They were ready for opposition of any kind. They were willing and able and wanting to testify about the resurrection of Jesus. Well, they sat in jail overnight. And while they were in jail, guess what happened? A large crowd of people were saved. More people believed the message. They sowed the seeds in their sermon, then they were carried away to jail. And in the meantime, a harvest was reaped. Seeds sown in good soil, God will cause them to grow. And they did. Now, some people argue about whether this is 5,000 more than the 3,000 we read before or if it's just 2,000 more and it's 5,000 total. It doesn't really matter. It's the last time Luke even mentions a number. It's always a large crowd or people come to Christ, and that's all we care about, people coming to Christ. God moves even when persecution is going on. Matter of fact, he moves even more sometimes when persecution is going on. So the next morning... All of Judea, Judaism's leaders gathered. There's a little amphitheater kind of thing in the temple area that they use as their tribunal area. So these 70 members of this Sanhedrin, that's what the name of the group is, a Sanhedrin. It's 70 members and the high priest, so 71 total. The high priest and all his male family members were there. Alexander, John, Caiaphas, all of them were there. Now this is all the same group that had Jesus crucified. 60 days earlier, roughly 60 days earlier. This is the same group with a lot of, in my mind, a lot of egg on their face because they never did find his body. 
But listen to their question that they ask. I mean, they gather all these people together and they only ask one question. By what name, by what power did you do this? You know, that, that question rings with a lot of small faith. If they recognized it as a miracle, who does miracles? God. But they didn't, they didn't want to admit that. They just seemed to have a little bit of doubt that this could have been done some other way. God should have been their conclusion. But you know what? The reason I think they're asking this question, this looks a lot like Jesus. Like, Jesus kind of did this kind of stuff. And so they're kind of being coy about the whole question, I think. They're trying to, trying to see if the Peter and John will give them something very incriminating. But the question gave Peter an absolutely perfect segue into the gospel, into his message. And he would not turn down the chance. He would not miss it for a moment. The narrator says that Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit. And it indicates that Peter was speaking by God and for God. The Holy Spirit will fill you with extra power, extra knowledge, extra wisdom when you need it in those times. We're always got the Holy Spirit in us as believers in Christ. You never are shortchanged on the Holy Spirit. But when you find yourselves in these kind of situations, when you need a little extra help to get your point across or to take care of somebody, you get it. The Holy Spirit comes on us. Being filled comes by a yielded attitude toward God, by obedience, by following God, by always being sensitive to things going on around you spiritually. Obedience to God's word affords us an extra help when, we're, when it's needed. So Peter starts speaking by the power of the Holy Spirit, and he kind of, he, it's very cute, he diplomatically kind of wades into this thing. If I'm being examined, he didn't say tried, he didn't say convict, convicted or arrested or any of that. He used the word examined. <laughs> He's being very, which is kind of funny for Peter to be diplomatic if you know Peter very well. But God's changed him, by the way. Diplomatically, he addresses them. He says, he's pointing to the good deed that was done. If they're wondering how this guy was here, which is funny, why is that the crippled guy there? I think they brought him in because they were hoping he would say something that would get Peter and John in trouble. But we'll talk about that again in a minute. If you're wondering how this guy was healed, what means did this very thing? If you're wondering, if you're questioning us, if you're examining us, I've got an answer, by the way. <laughs> all of you who will hear me, all you leaders. So we're talking 71 plus people, leaders of the temple were there. All of you leaders and all of Abraham's children, listen to me and hear this. It is only by Jesus Christ of Nazareth that this man stands here. It's only by him. And I want you to know that. Peter's using a strong word, no. It's like the same word we, we get in the Old Testament when it talks about having sexual relations, knowing someone, intimate knowledge, connected. I want you to know this throughout your entire heart that it is only by Jesus Christ that this guy's standing here. Yes, indeed, the man that you crucified, that God raised from the dead, has now healed this man. I mean, it's, it's no doubt. You know, they, they can't say which Jesus of Nazareth. <laughs> they can't say that. They know who he's talking about. And because he used the word Christ, which is the Greek word for Messiah, they knew exactly who he was talk, they were talking about and what they were saying. And Peter points out their sin of crucifying Jesus. He doesn't let them off the hook. He, he doesn't soft shoe that at all. 
Matter of fact, he's diplomatic how he's talking to him, but he points out very clearly, you crucified the Son of God. You crucified the Messiah, but God raised him from the dead. Peter was ready to answer them. He was ready to tell them why this happened. To address their concerns about the miracle. To assure them that this was divinely ordained. This was not an act of Satan. This was not a demonic thing happening. As the Pharisees tried to accuse Jesus of casting demons out by, by Beelzebub, by the devil. This is, not, this is divinely ordained. Peter was armed with the gospel. Christ's death, burial, and resurrection, and God's power in the Spirit made this guy's legs well. I mean, it was, it was just beautiful. It was all because of Christ. It was all because of God's power in that. And it's all because the Holy Spirit gave them the power to do that. I mean, Jesus' illegitimate killing that went on, and God's powerful resurrection, and the Spirit's drawing people together through that, on that miracle, that's, that's what's done it. That's what's contained when he says, by Jesus Christ of Nazareth. These are woven together, and it means that the gospel of Jesus Christ healed this man. The gospel of Jesus Christ healed this man. This man born this way. He was born lame to show the world that Jesus saves. I mean, you know, the guy doesn't realize it, didn't realize it before. He realizes it now. I spent 40 years begging by the temple gate and lame and not able to walk. I spent 40 years that way, but I now can testify Jesus Christ saves. And then Peter's just declaring it as an absolute truth. He brings in the Old Testament. So he gives them an argument to support his statement. The stone that was rejected by you builders has become the cornerstone. The stone that you, Jesus is the cornerstone. I mean, that's a great song too. Um, Jesus is the cornerstone that they rejected. That they rejected, they put aside. They, they chose not to believe in him. Jesus is the Messiah that the psalmist is speaking of in Psalms 118 on that particular passage. God made Jesus the founding stone of salvation. That's what he is. Now, some of you may know what a cornerstone is. I mean, we put, a, we put cornerstones now in buildings, but usually that's some machine-made stone. We can put something in, and you know, that way it's kind of a time capsule as well and all this other stuff. But a cornerstone back then was a, was a rock that they found that was pretty much perfectly square. Corners were perfect right angles, and they used that on a corner of a building to make sure the building got erected correctly, rightly, square, plumb, level. All those things were, that's what a cornerstone does. It makes sure things are level and right. Jesus is that. He is the cornerstone. Anything else is, anything else is just a rock, but Jesus is the cornerstone. The cornerstone is used to ground the whole structure correctly. Peter is now declaring to Judaism's leaders, all of them are assembled there, the same crowd that sent Jesus to the cross, teachers and elders, he's saying to them that Jesus is the Messiah. Regardless of what they've said, regardless of what they believe, the Sadducees don't believe in a resurrection, so they're really skeptical. Regardless of what they've taught, Peter and John were ready to testify that Jesus is the Messiah, irregardless of what the culture around him said. They had seen him. They had witnessed it. Peter was absolutely ready to face the opposition. You know, and he, he, he didn't really come out with any flowery or different words or special 
dispensation here. He tells them the truth. It's, it's, it's amazing. It was, he was unashamed to announce the saving power of Jesus Christ. And he finishes with a very conclusive application, a very exclusive truth. There is no other name by which salvation comes to us. Jesus is the only name God has given humanity on all the earth by which a soul can be made right with God Almighty. Jesus has decided this. God has decided this, I mean. The grace is that we can believe in Jesus Christ and we can accept that and we don't have to jump through hoops and, and bend over backwards and all the other things that, that the Jews were having to do because of the law that other religions teach us that you have to do to be right with God or get to heaven. You can be ready with this very fact. Verse 12, there is salvation in no one else for there is no other name under heaven given to people by which we must be saved. No other name. There's nothing else out there. Nothing. Nothing else will save. Nothing else will make us right with a holy God, the God of the universe. You have no other choice. You have no other means. You have no other source. Someone might tell you you do, but you don't. You have no other provision to have your sins forgiven except faith in Jesus Christ. The case is closed. And, and I think it's closed by God. But that's what they had. You know, we use the word martyr to talk about people who may have died for their faith. You know where that word comes from? It's an interesting history. That word comes from a Greek word, maturius, which means witness. That's what the word means. In all Greek translations, you never hear it translated as someone who died for their faith. It's translated as witness. Someone who's willing to testify. Someone who has a testimony. That's where we get that word, and that's what Peter and John are being right here. They're being a martyr for Christ. They're being a witness to the truth of Jesus Christ. They have no hesitation. They have no shame. They're not hiding or mincing it. They're not trying to soften the blow that's going to hit these Jews in the face. And being a witness requires being ready and able to testify about the Savior. And by the way, we're all called to be a witness of Jesus Christ. Jesus had told them, okay, this, this is Peter and John really weren't caught off guard here, okay? Jesus had said that opposition to the gospel would come. It will come. He said many times, be ready, be ready, be ready, watch, 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 be alert, be alert, be alert. Jesus said it over and over while he was living here with them, while he was discipling them. He said, be ready, keep your eye open. He told them also, though, that the Spirit would help them. In Luke chapter 12, verses 11 through 12, here's what Jesus told them. Whenever they bring you before synagogues and rulers and authorities, hmm, sounds familiar, they're before leaders and synagogue rulers, don't worry about what you should defend yourselves or what you should say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you at that very hour what you must say, what must be said. Jesus promised us the Holy Spirit. We all have that. And when we need it, in cases like Peter's, we get a little extra for that particular moment in time to testify, to be that martyr for Christ with our words. Do you ever envision yourself being in a situation like this? You ever thought about what it would be like to be facing criminal proceedings for your belief in Jesus Christ? Boy, it's, it's a thought long way from most Americans' minds. We never think about this. We never really consult that idea. 
Now, a lot of missionaries that from America that go overseas, they have to think about it. They actually have to have a plan. We have plans in place. Southern Baptist Convention has hostage-type negotiations and, and insurance in place for that kind of stuff for, for serious situations. But have you ever thought about you standing in front of a group of people being accused of doing something that broke a law because you believe in Jesus Christ? Because you fly in the Christian flag on your front lawn or whatever it may be. It could be all kinds of stuff. Have you ever thought about when you're, when you're sharing your faith with, with Jesus, what their challenges might cause you to do? What you're going to say if they challenge you? Well, how can you be ready for such circumstances? Because I'm telling you, we need to be ready. There's changes out there that are coming. It's, uh, that's another whole sermon, too. How can you be, what can you do to prepare yourself? Well, besides the answers I've been giving you for five years, read your Bible, pray, you know, get around good and, and awesome instruction and training, get around people that you can bounce these things off of and get a, a perspective, a good solid perspective. Those are normal things that you can do and they're available all the time. But you can also just stick with Peter's answer. Because Peter's answer to any situation was always Jesus. Always Jesus. We've seen him preach three times already by chapter 4. Well, counting the one to the, 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 the leaders right here. We've seen him preach four times, and every time he runs straight to Jesus. He starts there. He tells them it's all about Jesus. It's all about his death, burial, and resurrection. It's all about the fact that God sent him to die for you, even though you killed him. We can start there. That's the answer we can always have. You don't have to be brilliant. You don't have to go to seminary. You don't have to have a doctorate. You just know that it's because of Jesus. What he did, who he was, why he came, we all know that. If you're a believer in Christ, you should know that. If you don't, I'll be glad to help you. Jesus, God's son, came, lived, died, was buried, and rose again so that we could be forgiven. That's, that's the story. That's, that's what Peter runs to every time, and I think he's probably a pretty good example to follow. He died and came for your forgiveness, for your eternal life. You know, whenever I've tried to get clever with my answers, when somebody challenges me, it always just runs off the rails. It's just kind of like, then it goes into another whole argument and we get way off the topic of Jesus. But when I stick with the gospel, when I say it's still all about Jesus and it's still all about what he did and who he was and why he came and that God sent him, when you stick to that, you can't run anywhere. They can't run anywhere. They got to. They got to either answer that or ignore it. That's the, that's the two choices. John was writing a letter. The, the Apostle John. He wrote a letter to a church in First John, and in First John chapter five, verses eleven and twelve, he says this: "This is the testimony that God has given us eternal life, and that life is in the Son. He who has the Son of God has life." That life, that eternal life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have eternal life. It's that plain. It's that simple. We don't have to be able to answer all their, their questions about who created the world and who was Cain's wife and all this other stuff. You don't have to, you can talk about it, but you don't have to argue with them about that. You keep coming back to Jesus. Keep coming back. Jesus died a cruel and illegal death for the sins of all humanity. He did. And anyone who trusts in that sacrifice, who believes and depends on that sacrifice, will receive God's eternal forgiveness in life. It's as simple as that. 
See, his name is the only name. He's not, he's not one name. He's not a name. He is the only name by which we can be saved. No one else can do that. Because God didn't let anybody else do that. He didn't designate any of that other stuff. So we need to be ready with that. Be ready with that truth, those strong words. Make it our story and stick to it. You don't have to come up with anything else creative. Make it your story and stick to it. Jesus Christ crucified, buried and raised. So that's Peter and John were ready. They, they testified to the absolute truth of Jesus. That's the first attitude they had. They were ready to face opposition because Jesus had the power to save. Now they just hold fast to it to the very end. I mean, they don't, they don't give up. Number two, be fearless with the message. Be fearless with this message. So they bring, they, 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 the next day they get together and have this court. And now the, the leaders are they're kind of like going, wait a minute, we didn't expect this. Listen to what happens now, starting with verse 13. When they observed the boldness of Peter and John and realized that they were uneducated and untrained men, they were amazed and recognized that they had been with Jesus. And since they saw the man who had been healed standing with them, they, they had nothing to say in opposition. After they ordered them to leave the Sanhedrin, they conferred among themselves, saying, What should we do with these men? For an obvious sign has been done through them, clear to everyone living in Jerusalem. We cannot deny it. <laughs> but so that this does not spread any further to the people, among the people, let's threaten them against speaking to anyone in his, this name again. So they called for them, ordered them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. And Peter and John had an answer for that. Now, whether it's right in the sight of God for us to listen to you rather than to God, you decide. For we are unable to stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. Unable. After threatening them further, they released them. They found no way to punish them because the people were all giving glory to God over what had been done. For this sign of healing had been performed on a man over 40 years old. They were continuing to be fearless with this message. They didn't, they didn't bow back off of it or anything. So the Sanhedrin were completely caught off guard by these uneducated Galilean fishermen. They're like, oh, these guys are, they're too dumb to know how to present an argument. They, they weren't illiterate because everybody was taught to read because you do that in your, in your synagogue schools. They, had, they weren't illiterate. They were just, in their minds, uneducated and untrained. Nobody, they, nobody had taken them and mentored them and discipled them. But, but they were sorely surprised. Their words, their logic proved to the court, proved ex completely, comprehensively that Jesus had drastically influenced these men drastically influenced them they weren't dumb hicks from galilee they weren't like me with an alabama public education has he had that effect on you i hope so jesus had taught them jesus had discipled them he told them to be bold to be direct to not me be sidestepping with his message his kingdom message give it full bore all of it don't mince any words he taught them that They didn't understand what happened. They, they really didn't know how to handle this. One thing they, the Sanhedrin didn't know is that Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit. So they had no concept of that. 
had no concept of the Holy Spirit coming down and filling them. Like Jesus said in Luke chapter 12, I read a while ago, the Holy Spirit's going to help you talk. The Holy Spirit's going to help you witness, help you be that martyr for my message. The, the court wasn't ready for their rebuttal, but they were. On top of their words, now they've, they've said all of this, on top of their words, Exhibit one for the defense, the healed man. He's standing right there next to him. Now, I think that the Sanhedrin had him subpoenaed, or maybe they put him in jail with Peter and John, I don't know. But they had him subpoenaed thinking, well, he'll, he'll show up today crippled or hobbling, and he wouldn't be a full healing. But he shows up, and he's standing on two good legs, and he becomes exhibit one in the trial for the defense, not the prosecution. <laughs> um, he, he, he is, they can't deny it. It's like, we can't, we can't deny this. He's standing right there. How can we say this didn't happen? We can't say that. The power in that sight of that man standing there who had been a beggar by the gate for probably 30 years or more, they couldn't, they couldn't d dismiss it. And the power of that man standing there also encouraged John and Peter to be just as vocal to be just as bold and it bolstered them to be fearless with their message and we have the same power in our own souls we do we have the same power so now they dismiss peter and john send them away and they have this conference they they get together and they're left with no real options i mean that's the conclusion they come from we what, what do they say here the, the sign has been done we cannot deny it but we you know we we must not let this spread any further an obvious sign has been done. We, we can't deny it. I don't know what else they thought they could do, but the first thing is that the miracle was, was known and popular, okay? The people knew, okay? They recognized this guy. The people's opinion really was foiling their attempt to suppress the teachings on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It was completely undeniable. The second thing is that they couldn't punish Peter and John for any kind of heretical teaching, like any apostasy against God's word, because the man was standing right there. It was proof that they were speaking truth for God, that they were doing it in God's name. They had no choice but to bully them. I mean, that's really what it boils down to. We're going to bully them into not talking about Jesus. We're going to, we're going to order them. We're going to order them to shut up. We're going to tell them, stop talking. Stop telling it's not effective. We're here today because it wasn't effective. They didn't listen to these guys. So they called them back in, and they gave them strict orders to cease and desist. Do not talk about this Jesus anymore. And Peter John was like, uh, I don't know about you, but you can't, you can't tell us that. Because they had an authority question for the, for the Sanhedrin. Who do I obey, you or God? You decide who you're going to obey. I'm, I'm already decided. That's kind of the truth. That's really what that means is they weren't leaving it up to the Sanhedrin to tell them who to obey. They were already decided. They were telling them, you decide who you're going to obey. It wasn't up for debate to Peter and John, and it shouldn't be up to debate for us either. Basically, Peter and John are telling him, your bluff carries no weight here. We cannot stop talking about what we've seen and heard. It's impossible. To, it's literally like they cannot shut up about it. It's impossible to cease. We are unable to not talk about Jesus. They fearlessly 
They, they fearlessly promised the court that they would continue to proclaim the name of Jesus. So right there in their face, they defied the Sanhedrin. You're ordering us not to talk. We're telling you we're going to. I mean, they were fearless. So they had no other recourse. They had nothing else they could do. They couldn't find another solution. So they threatened them again. Empty threats, by the way. And released them. Nothing would work since the people were praising God and believing in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. They had no other option. I find it kind of ironic that the same group of people who had Jesus crucified, who sent Jesus to Pilate, and Pilate got caught in the same thing, the people drove Pilate's decision. Now the people are driving their decision. I love it when karma comes back, which I don't believe in karma, but God's just, he's got a sense of humor when all this stuff starts happening. The crowds were ecstatic since the man had been crippled all of his life. And just like Jesus is healing at the pool of Bethesda, that guy was 38 years old at the pool of Bethesda. This guy was 40 years old. The crowd was going crazy. And the Jews knew it. And they couldn't do anything about it. And John and Peter had been fearless with the message and refused to cease speaking because they were unashamed of Jesus. He was the answer. We talked about martyr a minute ago. I want to give you a name of a a guy you may know, you may not know, William Tyndall. You may not know who William Tyndall is, but you can thank William Tyndall for our Bible, for our English Bible, I should say. You can thank him for that. He translated the entire New Testament into English when it was illegal to do that. It was against the king's wishes. And he hopped around all over Europe hiding while he did this so that he could get it out. And he smuggled English Bibles into England by all kinds of means. Matter of fact, he had a boat taken some one time that got sunk, carried all of his Bibles to the bottom of the English Channel, but he kept writing and kept printing. By the way, the printing press was developed by this time. But he printed and, and translated. And parts of the Old Testament he had translated as well into English before he was arrested before he was betrayed by somebody, I think, in, in, uh, in Germany or in Belgium. And he spent a lot of time, about 18 months, in a, in, a, in a Brussels castle dungeon. This was all in the very early 1500s. I mean, some of the poetry we have in the Psalms is William Tyndall's poetry. He wrote Psalms 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. The King James Version you know, that's William Tyndall. But he was carried to England, extradited to England, and strangled and then burned at the stake. And as the flames were licking at his body, he cried out a prayer, O Lord, open the king of England's eyes. And three years later, the king approved English translated Bibles. Henry VIII allowed English printed Bibles to be in every parish parish church in England. And the King James Version was published in 1611. He was a martyr. He was a witness. He was striving to get the Bible into native languages, and he was fearless with his message. There's a a mission organization out there now um, called Tyndall House Publishing that is named after him. And there are other, uh, other ministries that are translating the Bible into native languages all over the world. He made an impact. As a martyr, he made an impact. 
You know, Peter even expounds on this experience that he has here. And he tells us, he tells the church, and he tells us, who then will harm you if you are devoted to what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness, you're blessed. Do not fear them or be intimidated. Peter's writing this. He says, but in your hearts, regard Christ the Lord as holy, ready at any time to give a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason that the hope you have inside you. Yet do this with gentleness and reverence, keeping a clear conscience so that when you are accused, those who disparage your good conduct in Christ will be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. That's in 1 Peter 3, 13 through 17, if you want to write that down, look at it later. It's a great verse to meditate on about how are we carrying the message? How are we living unashamed? How are we fearlessly bringing the gospel to someone? Have you ever been threatened by anybody to stop talking about Jesus like they were? Everybody ever told you to stop with that Jesus talk, you holy roller? You ever been told you couldn't have a Bible on your desk at work? You couldn't have any kind of scripture passages on your email signature block? Had, had anything Christian in your office? I have. Have you ever been warned that praying in Jesus' name in a, in a religious gathering of some sort might be frowned upon? It happens right here in this country. It happens because people are really ignorant of the law, but... Have you ever had that happen? What if it does? What are you going to do? First of all, you can't violate the First Amendment rights by doing your First Amendment rights. I mean, that's, that's the first thing we've got to remember. Our First Amendment rights, by freedom of speech and freedom of religion, can't violate the First Amendment, which is what they all claim. So don't let them buffalo you into believing that you're violating the First Amendment. You're not forcing anybody to believe what you're believing. You're just stating what you believe. But if someone challenges you to stop, are you going to stop? Are you going to quit? Peter shows us. Peter shows us always be willing and ready and fearless with God's message. Don't hesitate to say it. Don't hesitate to pray in Jesus' name. Don't hesitate to acknowledge the fact that there's only one way we can all get to heaven. That's through Jesus. When Christ is your Lord, really your Lord, you have no fear. You have no fear of facing condemnation. It's a privilege to be able to speak in the name of Jesus Christ. Now say it gently. Don't be arrogant, ugly, rude, or jerk. Don't do that. That's what Peter cautions us. Don't do it. Don't be a jerk. Say it gently. Say it carefully. Say it without con condemning them. Just tell them the truth. Oh, by the way, there's only one name under heaven by which we can be saved. That's all you got to leave with them. Don't give them a valid reason to charge you with something or to accuse you of something. But, but we, the church, we must be willing to suffer for the good of the kingdom, for getting the word out, to face challenges, for doing good, not evil. We as the church, that's what God kept us here for. That's why he didn't save us and take us home. He put us here to preach and teach and share and tell that there is only one name under heaven by which we can be saved. So we need to be fearless with this precious message that God's given us. Fearless with it. 
God saved you to send you to people around you, okay? He didn't save you to just sit here and enjoy comfortable life. We're to be vocal. We're to tell people. We're to let our little light shine. Remember the song we teach all the kids? Let, let your light shine. That's what we're here for. And Peter made it very clear that we need to be ready and we need to be fearless. And I think it's a message for us today for sure. Peter and John, they faced down these adversaries. They called their bluff, if you will. And they went on preaching and sharing. It catches up later. There's other things going to happen. But for right now, in this moment in time there in Acts, they, they dodged the bullet. But you know what? They never hide from the bullet. Now, God has established his church to do these very same things. And I can tell you for a fact that the American church has gotten real comfortable because we don't have to be that bold. We can put up our church buildings. We can put bumper stickers on our car. But I think there's times coming where people are going to challenge that freedom. But as Christians, we need to be vocal and we need to be faithful with his truth. His truth. The gates of hell, Jesus said, the gates of hell will not prevail against us. Well, nobody fights a war with a gate. That means we're supposed to be storming hell. We're supposed to be going there. We have the offensive weapons of his name and his message to take to whoever and wherever they are. We need to take the fight to the devil, to be ready, to be fearless, to be unashamed of Jesus Christ, our Lord. So let's take some time now and pray over that in your own heart. Pray for courage. Courage is just facing your fears, as John Wayne said. Pray for courage. Give up your fears. We're going to have a time of pastoral prayer. If you want to come to the front and, and pray here at the altar, feel free to do that. But let's have a time of quiet prayer, then I'll close us out after a minute or so.